Um, I am a covenant member here at the well, and I'm a part of Nomad CG. Um, I'm going to be reading Psalm 23 in Japanese. Um, uh, sorry, I'm a little overwhelmed with emotion because this is my first Sunday back, so forgive me. Sanka, Davide no shi. Shua, Hitsujikai, Watashiniwa, Nanimo, Kakeru Koto Ganai. Shua, Watashio. Dang, sorry. I'm like. Jeez. Shua, Watashio, Aoksa no Harani, Yasumase. いこしいこいの水の取りに伴い魂を生き返らせてくださる。主は皆にふさわしく私を正しい道に導かれる。死の影の谷を行く時も私は災いを恐れない。あなたが私と共にいてくださる。あなたの道、あなたの道、あなた
beautiful to us. I think that just hearing it in a language that we may not be familiar with it is a great way to highlight our diversity and the beauty of God within that. Uh, third, because we actually uh, want to grow in diversity. We are a diverse church, specifically in a very homogenous city, but since we've been away from each other for a year, we just want to be able to celebrate together and say, look, hey, here's who we are and also here's where we want to go. I really believe that part of our healing, as Steph even mentioned in the hosting time with one another, will actually be to reconnect with each other, to remember what God is doing in each other's lives, and just hearing it in a different language is actually a really easy way to express this. And then finally, we're doing this because we actually have a really big mission in front of us. We want to plan 100 churches nationally and 100 churches internationally. We believe that the gospel is the hope of the world, and the local church is the best bearer of that gospel message. And so the gospel is beautiful, and it is diverse, and it's not just meant for Jewish people, or it's not just meant for Middle Easterners, or Anglos, or Americans. It is for every tongue, tribe, nation, and culture. In fact, the gospel transcends culture, family of God, and we want to celebrate that and to remind ourselves of that. And so thank you, sister, for reading that for us and for reminding me of just the beauty of who God is this afternoon. Okay, y'all ready? Psalm 23 is where we're going to be. Also, if you cannot tell, it is allergy season. So I was also crying during worship, which did not help it, but most of this is allergies. So if in the middle I have to like do some weird stuff, it's not me catching the Holy Ghost, it's me making sure you can hear me, all right? So Psalm 23, one of the best known chapters, I would argue, in the Bible, uh, maybe one of the best known chapters in the world, so many different things can be said about this psalm. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the 19th century pastor and abolitionist and theologian, he says this of this psalm. He says, this is a pearl of psalms whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye. Of this delightful song, it may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. And so as we slow down, I couldn't think of a more beautiful passage in which to fix our gaze upon for the next several weeks. Because there's so few sections of scripture that really mix the reality of the life that we may be experiencing or the suffering that we may be incurring or the beauty and the power of the gospel that we want to walk in, the the beauty of Christ and the truths of walking with our sweet savior and our powerful king like this psalm. There's very few other passages where we get all of this mixture of beauty. And within this, I wanna let you know, we're not gonna touch on everything up front because we're going to be splitting it up into seven different weeks. And really, by the end of the series, my hope would be that you even have this psalm memorized yourself. That as you hear it in different languages, as you are meditating on it every single week, that its truths will begin to root itself down in your heart so that the reality of what we're talking about can be recalled as the days go forward. We'll talk about suffering and we'll talk about healing. We'll talk about triumphing in Christ and we'll talk about mission and all of these things are wrapped into this song. And so I wanna tell you why I feel like the Lord put this on my heart. And Seth mentioned it already, but I wanna really re-highlight it to invite you in on this with us. Because as a group of elders and pastors and our CG shepherds, we're all praying one thing for this series, that in this series, we would find a tremendous amount of healing 
Healing is the theme word that we're going to be asking God for throughout this series. And for some of us, that healing just looks like re-entry into the rhythms that we've forgotten will bring healing to our souls. And for some of us, that means that the wounds that we've had, the the loss of jobs, the, the loss of loved ones, our emotional suffering, that we would need to find our shepherd. And in this psalm is where our shepherd is laid out very clearly, and there's healing in that. When we look to him, when we allow him to comfort us, there's a renewal of the soul. For some of us, I believe we do not realize that we need healing, but as we continue to journey together, I pray that we would receive what our own souls are kind of been quieted to be screaming to our hearts. Because a lot of us have gotten really good at going on throughout life without listening to the soul and its cry. And I believe that a lot of us is crying for healing. For some, there's spiritual healing, just a reconnection to the Father, or maybe even a relationship with the Father for the very first time. And for some of us, we've just been in a spiritual lull and just need to reawaken to Christ again. And whatever it is, I pray that you'd experience healing during this series and an intimacy that transforms our soul. And so this week, we're looking at the first verse only. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the whole focus of today. And in order to receive this healing, we have to understand who it is that we're approaching, which is why David starts like this. In order to find rest or to find healing or to find comfort, or if we're healthy, to be reminded of what God is calling us to do and what God is calling us to be for others, we have to know this God and understand how to have intimacy with this God And so the idea here in this uh, series and idea today, actually, is that God is our keeper and God is our provider. That's what we're looking at today, him being our keeper and our provision. And if this is true, if it's true that he keeps us, that he provides everything for us, we can have comfort, y'all. We have comfort in the midst of COVID. We can have comfort with broken uh, families or lost relationships. We can have comfort in the midst of social or political chaos and any other brokenness that approaches us. It means something different if this verse is true. Whatever suffering might come or whatever pain we might have, it has a different reality if verse one is true. In fact, if verse one were the only verse in the Bible, it would be enough for us to sustain our whole lives. The depth that is carried here is profound, and if we allow it to sink in, it will transform us. And so the Lord is our shepherd, all right? What does that mean? Because it's hard for most of us to understand uh, really what a shepherd is and and what he or she did and what a shepherd is like because there's not many of us that have an agricultural background. Even if we went to uh, the cult, uh, Texas A&M, Look, don't nobody be talking during the sermon that I say something like that. I'd be like, ah, right? <laughs> Even if we went to that nice school down south called Texas A&M, we probably did not graduate with an agriculture degree. And even if we did, the amount of technology that we have today makes it look very different than what a shepherd would have done back in those days. And so the one overarching truth about the shepherd in that culture, the, the key idea is that the shepherd's life was one of constant care. You had to tend to and look after and watch out for the sheep 24-7. Now translate this to God. David says that God is a God who provides constant, nonstop care to his people. 
Our God does not sleep and our God does not slumber. Our God does not take any time off. He is watching over you. He provides for you. He is with you. Our God is here. I may be preaching to myself this afternoon. Did you hear that? Do you receive that? Does your heart receive this reality that your God is consistently and lovingly and purposefully providing this care for you? He watches over you. He is with you. Do you believe this, family of God? Shepherds, they literally, they lived with their sheep. And so some even slept with them. We actually see this in Luke chapter two, verse eight, or Zephaniah chapter two, verse six, where they're literally sleeping with the sheep. And so God is present with you. And in this, we get to delight and we get to receive from God. Do you receive that? Do you receive that care from him? Do you even know how to have your hands postured and open that you might receive the shepherding that your soul needs? Do we understand what it means to walk with God or do we seek to be our own shepherd? You see, there's two things we can do. We can shepherd our own souls and usually lead it down paths that follow into destruction or we can allow the good shepherd to come in to care for our heart and our souls in a way that only our God knows how to. But most of us are only discipled in how to be our own shepherds. You see, here's the reality in this season. A a lot of us, we spend a lot of time trying to heal ourselves of all of the wounds that we might have. And trying to seek our own healing is not a bad thing in and of itself. But it'd be a lot better to spend our time uh, allowing the true shepherd to heal us. You see, for many of us, when there was an insurrection... Or when there was racism against our culture or our ethnicity or when we felt anxious because of COVID, we ran to Instagram and Twitter to help uh, decipher our feelings through the means of other individuals rather than running to the person who created our feelings in the first place. And so when we're hurting, we wonder why. You see, only the shepherd can provide a promise like what we just read, that when we are with him, we lack nothing. Notice the importance of the posture here. David, he's not just saying the Lord is a shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. Do you see that there? Your God is not just a friend. He's your friend, family of God. He's my friend. He's not just a husband. He's not just a master. He's not just a provider. No, he is your provider, I wish I had a few with me to testify to God's ever-present nearness and goodness today. Do you hear that? Does it wash into your soul or are these just words on the screen, y'all? Because a lot of us, we just treat it like it's words on the screen and we go on trying to heal ourselves and we wonder why we feel so lost. Your God is with you. Notice also, it says that the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. Do you see that there? Not if I do this, then he's my shepherd. Not I hope that he will be my shepherd. No, he is my shepherd or my provider or my keeper. How is it that you grow in this much confidence? Well, there's a hint even in this verse here. It says that the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. That's the Hebrew name Yahweh. Whenever you see that, it means Yahweh. I am that I am. This was a, a covenantal name, a relational name. You see, there's a lot of things that you can call God. You can call God Adonai, or you can call God Elohim, which means God. But when we see the word Yahweh, it was the word that God gave to his covenant people to signify a relationship. 
And so what David is saying here is that he knows God personally, intimately. There's a relationship that David has with God. Don't miss this because I think this will carry us throughout this whole series. If you know Jesus Christ, If you truly know our Savior and our God and our friend and our Lord and our shepherd, then the Lord is not maybe your shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd. He's your shepherd now. In fact, he was your shepherd before you were even being formed in your mother's womb. And he will be a shepherd until the sun burns out and we are radiating with the glory of Christ for all of eternity. Your Jesus has been, is, and will be your shepherd. Do you believe this? Do you tell yourself this gospel truth, this good news truth, if we have relationship with Jesus Christ, he is my shepherd? I'm gonna repeat that over and over again because I don't know if everybody is with me. In fact, I want you to look to your neighbor and say, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, it wasn't enough. Look to your other neighbor and say, the Lord is my shepherd. A little bit better. Hey, I I want you to look to yourself. This isn't weird, okay? I want you to look to yourself, and I want you to physically say out loud, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, if you know Christ, this is true. And this truth has countless beautiful implications. Now, confession, when I made you look to your neighbor, I want you to know that I do not see God as a shepherd, at least not my shepherd, Like, Tori, your pastor does not see Jesus in that way. I I know what this means, but I do not understand how to walk in this very well because I see him very clearly as master and as a Lord and as king. That's really easy for me. But shepherd is a little bit harder for me to receive. Now, look, I know the analogies of a shepherd, right? I've been a pastor long enough to understand all of the shepherd's functions and roles and and what it means to be a shepherd in that culture. But I do not really believe this family of God in my heart. As I'm literally wrestling with the text this week, I am realizing that at least half of my actions is because I do not believe that God is a shepherd. Do I really trust this? Is there intimacy like this where I can see myself being cared for intimately by Christ? You see, to serve him, yes, that's very easy for me, but to be cared for by him, I got it myself is what I often say. Now, I don't say this out loud, but the posture and the actions that I do prove what my heart actually believes. And I think for a lot of us, if we were honest, we do not say out loud that we do not believe that God is a shepherd, but our postures and our actions are telling us otherwise. And so then no wonder why it's so easy for me to move to serve Jesus well. Like I have no problem sacrificing for Jesus. I don't even really have a problem suffering for Christ or obeying his word because family of God, he is worthy of that. He is a king, he is a master, he is my Lord. And I want that, I want to be a servant underneath him. So I serve Christ, but then I wonder why at times when my soul is hurting and when my soul is in need of hearing, I do not find this in my Lord. I feel a want because I do not know him as my shepherd. And we quiet in here, so I feel like some of y'all got that same issue. Listen, a king's job is not to heal. No amens for that? That's not what a king's role is. 
And so when you only see God as your king, it is no wonder why it is hard for you to find the healing that is offered in Christ. A Lord's job, a master's job is not to heal, it is to direct, and God is a beautiful director. He will lead us to paths of righteousness if we would allow him, but the job of a king is not to heal, but our God is not just a king who reigns in heaven, our God is a shepherd that is with us. Our God wants intimacy with us, family of God. He is a doctor and a friend. Your God is a shepherd. No, no, no. Your God is your shepherd, if you believe in him. You see, healing comes when you allow yourself to be tended to by our great shepherd. Y'all tracking with this? And so I want us to work on this series to look at our Lord not just as a God, but to look at our Lord as a shepherd as well. Notice even the word placement of David and what he's doing in this psalm. This is another way that we find healing. In the Hebrew, the first word there is Yahweh. There's no article, the, it just says Yahweh, which means the Lord. This is also where we find healing, is by looking to God first and foremost. Now, David's emphasis isn't on the sheep here. The emphasis is on the shepherd and on his actions toward the sheep. And this is very important. You see, the sheep are the recipients of the shepherd's kind actions. And so we find healing when we allow ourselves to be served by our great God. There's essentially two ways that we can read this. You see, we can read this psalm and we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, etc." Or we could read it like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And one reading makes you look inward only, and the other one makes you look upward primarily that you might then find inward healing that your soul needs. Many of us, when the valley of death comes, which it comes in verse three, we look inward and we're not great physicians on ourselves. And so we lack healing because we have a fractured arm trying to stitch up a a gash in our leg. And we wonder why we're unable to heal ourselves. We do not have the strength or the power to be able to do that. We are sheep, we need a shepherd. And if we look to God to do that, then he does indeed heal us. You see, many of us, family of God, we need to be calmed by God's presence. We need to be ignited again by his affections for us. We need to be called again by his voice. Do you hear the voice of your shepherd calling? Do you hear his voice? You see, the voice of the thief wants to distract us on many other things, or the buying of our own sheephood distracts from the shepherd's voice at times. And so there's all these other loud voices, but we need to be calmed by his presence and hear the voice of God, which wants to speak life over you, family, healing over you, his presence with you. Notice too, David's emphasis is on the Lord, but he is learning how to personalize these truths about God. And so his focus is on God, but he's understanding how to apply those things to his own soul. You see, some of us, we know a lot of theology, but we never apply it personally, and then we wonder why there's a lack of intimacy and provision. I wish I had a few more witnesses this morning. Some of us, we focus personally, 
And we rarely look upwards, and theology is not a thing for us whatsoever. And so we wonder why our personal provision isn't enough to satisfy the voids that are in our soul. When our focus is on God, however, but then we receive God's goodness, and we realize that God is with us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants to provide for us, he wants to comfort us, he wants to shower us with his affections and his love, this is where beauty is displayed. For when we receive that, this is where healing is had. It is fixing our eyes on the greatness of God and then realizing that greatness was given to us. Do you receive this family of God? We need this because this leads us into not wanting. Now, let's keep it a band, all right? That verse sounds really dope, right? But how many of us actually believe that? Like, really? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, period, right? No, no, exclamation point is what it has there, I think. Maybe it's a period. Oh, look, you threw it up there. Thank you. Period. I'm saying it, exclamation. All right, no, it's kidding. Like, do we really believe this? Because most of us have felt, or we even currently feel, want as Christians. And so how do we reconcile this verse? Like, what about when it feels like our shepherd is not protecting us, What about when we experience loss or death or suffering or emotional trauma or pain? Is this just an idealized truth or is this a true truth? There's definitely some lofty idealization going on here. We won't lie and we're not going to dive into that fully today. But there are these beautiful truths like having an eternal perspective Understanding that in the grand scheme of things, God is redeeming you and your suffering is actually aiding even to that redemption. You see, for the Christian, nothing is in vain, not even suffering. And there are truths of that. In fact, even the passage that we cover in a couple of weeks, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice that we are walking through the valley. We're not walking around it or over it or by it. We're walking through it. But David says, even there, God is with me. Like, I'm sure that David didn't want to be in the valley, So how can verse one, he says, I have no want, but then here, he's not like, yes, the valley of death, (laughs) suffering and loss all around me, right? Like he ain't crazy, all right? But he makes this statement knowing the realities of suffering. In fact, David is likely writing this as a old man having gone through a lot, y'all. Like if you think that your life is bad, I just want you to know and to be humbled by the reality that it is probably very minuscule comparatively to this dude. But he's still writing this saying that he is my shepherd, I shall not want. How can David say something like this? How does he make this statement? How has the contentment of the gospel grasped his soul? Well, that's what the rest of the series is for. David actually answers this in the verses that are following. That's what we will journey through together. Cool? All right, let's pray. I'm just kidding. I'm like, dang. <laughs> Uh, the worship team was like, oh, shoot, let's go out there. <laughs> All right. No, no, real talk. We will talk about it throughout the rest of the series. I ain't going to do you like that, though, okay? There are three very brief things that I want to highlight today, and then it's one of, some of the things we'll be walking through throughout the rest of the series as well, okay? First of all, the power of that statement, I shall not want, shouldn't just fly over our heads. Think about what David is really saying there, because our entire culture tells us to want what is next, but David is saying there is a way to be content in Christ, realizing that he provides all things to us. This is profound. 
So much so that I would tell you, maybe when you feel like you're in want, either you're feeling the broken effects of the world around you that should be reminding you of your true home, or you may be feeling the broken effects of your own soul that are not taking the benefits that are yours in Christ. They're there for you, you just have to receive them. By wanting, I think that there is a wanting of Christians in the right way. It doesn't mean when suffering comes, we're just like skipping through the fields and picking daisies and lilies. That's not what it's saying here, y'all. The Bible is real. The Bible is in the mess with us. The Bible is not this lofty, idealized truth that's just a bunch of proverbs about how life can kind of be good most of the time for most of us. No, it is real for all of us always. And so when you have want and when you have suffering, I believe that there's one thing that it draws us towards. It is allowing the want to produce in us the right kind of want. By the right kind of want, I think about things like what Jesus said when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. A hunger and a thirst, I would call that wanting, would you not? But they're wanting for the right things. You see, the shadow of death tells us that this is not our home. This is not your home, Christian. This is not where you will dwell forever. You will arise and all suffering will be gone and suffering shows us that this is not our home. That there's something better that is coming and when we thirst for our true home, then we're able to walk through the valleys realizing that we are gaining victory because nothing can harm us, not because we're dope, but because our shepherd is with us. And if he's with us now, wouldn't he be with us forever? In fact, wouldn't we know him more fully then? Suffering points to our better home. The New Testament is a crash course on eternal perspective. In fact, I would encourage you to read through the New Testament with this idea of suffering on your mind if you have been suffering recently, because you'll see this was a very serious topic for the apostles, and they all point to the same truth, family of God, that Jesus has never lost. Why would he with you now? No, y'all didn't receive that. (laughs) Jesus has never lost. Why would he lose with you now? Why would he lose with you, family? Yes, you may be in the valley. Let's Let's not get it twisted. It's not that we're dancing through the lilies. Remember that. You may be in the valley, but Jesus was in the grave and hopped back out of it. And if Jesus can hop out of the grave, can he not carry you through a valley, y'all? Our God is with us. That's a word for someone in here today. Your God is with you. Do you receive that family? And so one thing that this does is it points us towards our future home. Our wanting is showing us that this is not our home. And if we allow it to disciple us in that way, we will be mature Christians that are able to withstand anything. Secondly, our feeling of want may be to point you towards righteousness towards sanctification in your own soul, towards the deep cellars of suffering where the greatest wine is produced. Tabidi Anyabwile, a pastor and author, he says this. He says, when suffering comes, say to it, hello, my dear friend, produce in me the works God has designed for you to do and bring me into greater glory. I love that quote. In fact, we did a sermon on suffering at the beginning of COVID to make sense of our wanting. So I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that, to understand how God uses suffering because this verse still holds true about us not wanting. But 
it makes us more like Christ. And if we are able to realize that, produce in me what God has designed you to do, we are able to withstand. The other reality is that our suffering may be the result of our sin. That's the third idea. And it may be God's grace in our life to tell us that something is off. I don't think you heard that. Suffering may be God's grace to show you that something is off. Now, it's not always sin, so we can't always identify our suffering with there's something wrong with us. It may not be, but we're also not just innocent bystanders to suffering either. There are times that we have produced that in our own life, and we have to discern the difference because, in fact, our wanting may be us believing in the society's claim that this earth is our home, that this is all that is before us, and that you should hunger and thirst for perfection today. And if we believe that, then we're going to get wrapped up into the call of the world and we will allow the world to shepherd us instead of our God to shepherd us. And I wanna tell you, the world's shepherding, it looks real good for a moment, but it does not know how to lead you towards the pastures that your soul needs. You see, when you follow the world, it may offer green grass for a moment, but after a while, it doesn't know where to lead you next. And so as you're eating the grass over and over again, family of God, it will turn into dirt and you'll be consuming nothing but dirt and you will die. Only our shepherd knows how to lead us. We have to follow him in that. And so this is what I believe our suffering highlights. Our, our wanting, it could be spurring us towards these beautiful things of the future. It could be sanctifying our present or it could be highlighting our misplaced desires. All three of those things are the reality. But the, the, the beauty of this psalm is that it holds even underneath the understanding of our current suffering because Jesus truly does meet every need. In fact, this verse highlights it. Throughout the series, we'll be seeing this unfold more, but you see in the screen on there in verse two that there's a spiritual need that our uh, shepherd leads us towards. In verse three, it highlights that there's emotional needs that he provides for. There's physical needs, there's eternal needs, there's directional needs and on and on it goes our God really does lead us into all things so that our soul is never left with any wanting God meets every single need through various measures to exalt his great name and to lovingly provide for his people in fact Matthew Henry uh, uh, ancient theologian he says this he says more is implied than expressed in this psalm not only I shall not want, but I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit for me or not good for me, or I shall have it in due time. And this is true. We have a shepherd who cares for us, and it's up to us to be reminded of this reality. That's why I keep asking you the same truth over and over. Do you believe this, y'all? Do you receive this? Is it true on your heart? Can you be honest like I was this week and go, I don't know God like this. No wonder why I so inwardly look trying to heal myself. I don't know how to go to God as my shepherd. Can you at least see where maybe you're not allowing him to be your provider and to be your keeper and to draw back to your God who loves you? You see, as we do this, we find the strength to walk through valleys. We find the green grass that we might eat, that we might be healed. We find the victory in Christ that anoints our head and allows us to triumph over our enemies. We see both now blessing and future blessing in Christ. The now blessing is being with him and being made more like him. And the future 
blessing is life everlasting, eternal life, life forevermore. And so this psalm, it kicks off with a remedy towards us not wanting, and its focus is on God first, not on the here first, not even on how to heal first, but first to fix our eyes on our shepherd. And as we fix our eyes on our shepherd, it is true that he will guide us and we will never lack family of God. And do you know how you can believe this truth with all ounces of your soul? It's because of what our great shepherd actually did for us. You see, all the proofs of this text is actually found in our good shepherd, Jesus. Listen, first of all, family, shepherding was not a favored occupation in that culture at that time. In fact, it was reserved for sons and for hirelings and for slaves. And yet here David has the audacity to call God this. And he's right to do it. In fact, God calls himself this. You see, only one who truly knows the heart of God would say, my God is a servant, even a servant of me. But David knows the heart of God, and so he knows that this is a true reality, and this is still true today. You do not serve a God who is only on the throne. You serve a serving God who serves you as well. You see, God is not ashamed to take a lowly position. He is not insecure to where he only wants you to call him king, but he's also allowing you to call him a shepherd. Your friend, even a servant, as Jesus Christ said about himself, he is not just a Lord and a master, but he's yours, and he wants to give himself to you. He loves you, and he isn't just saying, hey, look, kind of like a shepherd, I serve you in this way. No, God is a shepherd. He's not just highlighting, look, this is kind of like an analogy. He's saying he is a shepherd. He's my shepherd. He takes the lowly position of a servant to provide for you and to care for you and to protect you and to guide you, not to demand provision from you, not to demand your protection of him the way most kings do. No, our king comes to serve, and even though shepherds were not highly viewed in that society, the high and the mighty Lord, Yahweh, as David starts that psalm, is willing to be a shepherd. Do you receive this? Do you realize the magnitude of this? You see, here's one thing that's true about shepherds, y'all. And the one thing that kind of highlights the lowly position of it, the reason that people didn't really like shepherds is because they stank, y'all. Like just straight up, all right, I'm not being silly. Like they, they stank, okay? The shepherds, they spent all the time with their sheep to protect them, and therefore they ended up smelling like the sheep. A good shepherd smells like his or her sheep, and no one smells like the sheep more than Jesus Christ himself. You see, Jesus was not just a shepherd that came down to provide for the sheep, he became the sheep, family of God. Your God was not just over you, leading you, he became one of you. Filled with the iniquity and the sin, he came down into this mess that you might be delivered that you might know the shepherd truly. The shepherd became a sheep that the sheep might be delivered. In fact, in Isaiah 53, verse six, we already read this during worship. I wanna read the full context. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed 
And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We strayed, he bore our sin. We turned, he was oppressed. We were the sheep, but he became the lamb of God, not just the sheep of God, but the lamb, the, the young, innocent, spotless one without stain or blemish. And if the Lord God loves you enough to pay for your sins and to to bring what should have separated all of us from God for all of eternity. If he loves you that much to bring you into relationship with him, won't he provide for you all things? Won't he provide for you all things? Won't he deliver you of all things? The shepherd became a sheep. The lamb of God suffered want. He lost the presence of God, suffered on that tree. As his beard was being sheared off by the hands that yanked it out of his face. So he was silent. So that you and I who should have suffered might be delivered by God. Yes, healing may be delayed. Yes, trouble may come. But joy comes in the morning, the scripture says. You can receive this. Joy is coming because he has purchased this for you. And here's the reality, family. That shepherd did not stay a lamb. Jesus Christ did not stay a lamb. The passage is true because the lamb wasn't killed and slaughtered and now still lays in the grave. No, that lamb became a shepherd again. You see, throughout the scripture, Christ is shown to be our shepherd. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 24, we see that. In this passage, in John chapter 10 in the Gospels. But the, the story ends with this. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. It says, for the lamb, notice it, the lamb, is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. Sounds just like Psalm 23, does it not? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so maybe you've been lulled to sleep. Wake up, dear friend. Wake up. Your shepherd is here. And maybe you're weary and you're hurting. Look up, dear friend. Look up. Your shepherd cares for you. He sees your tears, he wipes them away, and he is guiding you into his presence. The Lord is your shepherd. If you know Yahweh as Jesus, as the Lord, if you have relationship with him, then the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. You can take that to the bank. Take it to the bank, the bank of your own soul, and believe it, family of God. I love you guys so much. Let's pray. Ma'am. God, I want to worship you. So I want to pray, to go into worship, to sing to you, our shepherd. God, I pray for those who may not know you as shepherd right now. Those who may have walked in here not truly having a covenantal relationship with you. Friends, this is your God. If you do not know Jesus, this is the God that wants to be your shepherd. If you have a skewed picture of who God is because maybe the world has painted something different, I want you to know this is your God. Not just the king and the ruler, he is that, but he's also a shepherd and a friend. This God wants to serve you and so even today you can receive the gift of grace that this God offers. In fact, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart 
that he is resurrected from the dead. He has paid for your sins. If you want relationship, it can be had. The radical scandal of grace is that all you have to do is say, man, I accept this. I want relationship with you. I want to follow. And God, for those of us who have made that profession, thank you for being our shepherd. God, forgive us when we look to other shepherds. You are the one that leaves us not wanting. And so let us even today be healed by your presence. Let today be healing for some. Let this series heal our souls. Let it fire us up for mission, God. Let us walk in the reality of who you are, Jesus. God, I pray that we would even become shepherds of each other. Thank you that you are making us like yourself so much so that we are able to now be shepherds to one another, to help be your presence, to help be your healing. And so for those of us who are walking in in wholeness and in health right now, would we bend down to heal others' wounds? God, would you heal us? Would you let us look to you even right now in worship and in communion and in fellowship? Would we sing to you, our shepherd? God, help us to see where we do not believe that you will provide, you are our provision. Help us to see where we think that you are not our keeper, you are. Allow us to trust you, to find freedom and joy in your fold, Spirit of God, even now, even now. Show us where we're trying to provide for ourselves. Show us where we're leaning on our own strength. Teach us to trust you, to trust you. I pray that even right now, as we take communion and as we respond in worship, that you would heal our souls, that you would tell our hearts, Yahweh is a shepherd and we shall not want. Let us sing to you. We love you, Christ. We praise in your very beautiful name. Amen.